I'm saying, dude, you could bring that kid up in front of the Hague and just be like, <laughs> this kid has betrayed the human race in favor of the bears. Thong Earthlets, my name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the seventh episode of Space Spinner 2000, the podcast where two Americans try to make sense of UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering August 1977, progs 24 through 27. This week, we'll get the exciting finale to Harlem Heroes and the beginning of a new kind of thrill, Future Shocks. How's it going, Fox? Uh, it's going actually pretty amazing. Uh, this week's great. Yeah, it's an exciting. It's an exciting month of Frogs, to be sure. Uh, and and as you were saying to me earlier, uh, kind of a, an amazing um, amount of reprieve after that terrible fucking sci-fi comic that they decided to publish for the summer series i mean I, I, like i said to you off the air you gotta <clears throat> sometimes you gotta hit the depths to appreciate the heights you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i guess so cleanse okay. your palate with terrible <laughs> okay let's get right to it all right through one invasion <laughs> anyone who doesn't love invasions of Olgon sympathizer fox Ah. <laughs> uh... I yeah. <laughs> so so we start this month um with Volgon anti-personnel missile tanks that guard the English Scottish border, which I don't know if like a missiles against random dudes trying to cross the border is really cost effective, but I'm not in charge <laughs> of this thing. Um it's so heavily defended that even tough British resistance leader Bill Savage won't risk attacking them though he does knock the crap out of a wrestling champ to prove that he's not a coward in that whole uh, wrestling's gold rules, but oh, I make me own rules. Just punches him in the face. Yeah, well, he he, uh, he shotgun butts him in the face, triumphant return oh. of the shotgun this, this, this month. <laughs> God, it's so good. But so the, uh, the Scots decide to invade and cross the border anyway. Because and things are going... Yeah. Things are going... For, well, because their families are in Scotland and they're in England or whatever. Uh, they're, they're having a bad time of it. So uh, Savage and his partner, Lieutenant Peter Silk, decide to support them by using a, a tree to catapult an improbable amount of stones from the ruins of Hadrian walls of, of Hadrian's wall at the missile tanks. Which was, uh, like, some of the best foolishness this comic two, has ever pulled off two dudes with a tree and like a, 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 a partly a partly broken down wall put a steady stream over like a tw- over a 50 foot area <laughs> of of constant barrage of boulder fire it's impossible <laughs> <laughs> but, but amazing because uh, you know yeah he's bill savage yeah i mean totally i'm just saying anyhow uh, they take control of one of the missile tanks and destroy the rest mark it down britain one volgs nil <laughs> so factor at optimum <laughs> so after this uh it's one of the greatest one-shot invasion stories of all time mm-hmm Savage and Silk are looking for a new base in the, in the remains of Nova Town, a city that was newly built 
when the Volgs invaded back in, or sorry, in the distant future of 1999, and they covered it in nerve gas, killing everybody. Uh, Savage and Silk meet the only survivor of the attack who's gone, like, full cartoon prospector with a giant beard and stuff. <laughs> and they relax in the, dirt, in, in the deserted city until suddenly a Volg patrol shows up. They catch Savage in the bathtub, and oh yeah, he shoots them. Okay, okay. he's got a he's got a rubber <laughs> yeah, ducky. Take a break. He's Let's got a rubber this. ducky in the bathtub with him, oh, yeah. and they're like, "Ah, oh, like we've got you in the bathtub. We're gonna kill you." And he's like, "Yeah, hey, check out this rubber ducky. It's a British made and covering this British made shotgun. Like he's got the rubber ducky on top of the barrel of the shotgun <laughs> to like keep water from getting in. I think." And then he just shouts, quack, quack, Volgs, and he shoots them and <laughs> shotguns them all through the freaking rubber ducky thing. <laughs> Anyhow, um, Savage and Silk grab gas masks and detonate an unexploded nerve gas bomb that's just lying on the street. And this place won't do for a base. They got to move on and find something else. <laughs> just gas. Just just the image, there's like two images uh, of Savage in the bathtub with a rubber ducky and then a rubber ducky at the end of a shotgun that are just fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then at a British holiday resort on like the seaside, I think, the, Volg, the Volgans are testing their new super speedboat. Savage and Silk meet an injured kind of Navy dude, the former king of water speed. Uh, the boys inspire him to take his super speed boat out to ram the Volgon boat, where the Navy dude uh, both dies and breaks the world water speed record in the process. <laughs> but a lot of water's gonna flow under the bridge before the Volgs break us. Is how uh, Savage ends it. <laughs> and then finally, uh, hard resistance leader Bill Savage and his buddy Silk take out a Volga convoy on the Eng on the English-Scottish border and learn that there's trouble in the Cordenoff ghetto in the Gorbals area of Glasgow, Scotland. Savage pole vaults over the wall of the ghetto where he meets the Glasgow resistance just as the liquidation order for the ghetto comes down from Volgon HQ. It's time for a breakout. And that's the, uh, the big cliffhanger that will be resolved in future issues of Invasion. Because, of course, the Great Escape. Hey, why not? <laughs> Some good, good Invasion stuff this week, man. Oh, my God. The, uh, the pole vault over the wall is pretty funny. <laughs> oh, God. It's uh, it's just like every shot that's in this, like especially like the larger stuff that takes up like three quarters, is almost all just fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, there's one where uh, like where they introduce the uh, uh, Gorbel's ghetto that is like a wall with a bunch of like with a bunch of Scots guys on one side of the wall and Volgans on like a scissor lift on the other side of the wall. And then in the foreground. It's just Bill Savage and his shotgun saying, but there ain't a cage or a wall that can hold Bill Savage. <laughs> just being uh, the amazing wild card that is this insane man with a shotgun. Absolutely. My, my personal favorite from this run was uh, like the shot of them shooting down at the Volgans 
filling the whole place with nerve gas. <laughs> oh my gosh, that that was that was really good. That was a really good execution, kind of shot for shot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just no, really, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm a lot of people. No, absolutely, <laughs> man. He pops that nerve gas, and like everybody's wearing, and like they're wearing gas masks. Everybody else is, and and there's a lot of. Uh, I'm always a big fan of um, in comic books where people say ah gas, you know, <laughs> like both yeah. their throats and stuff. There's a Volgan going like ah my lungs that I I really appreciate. <laughs> it uh, it is it's. Uh... I, he just does really... He actually doesn't kill people in one of these. Did you know that? Hmm. He doesn't kill Volgons in one of these comics. Do you know which one it is? Ooh. Uh, that's a good... Oh, I guess it's the, it's the boat one, right? Because the other yeah. guy kills the boat. He like, just shoots out the lights and knocks out a guy. Yeah, like Silk and Savage try to canoe out to take out the speedboat, but... That's about it. They they aren't they're they're actually unsuccessful in their mission in this one in the boat one. <laughs> yeah, we're for the first time, right? And so we. What's also interesting about this one is that uh, we also see him not using his shotgun in one of the shots, so that he mm. could knock the guy out and still hold the microphone. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, he's got the pistol instead. Oh, you know. That's how it they goes. wanted that shot. So yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's not. Great. I prefer the shotgun, but you know, it's not always a uh, a multi-purpose weapon. You got to use other weapons occasionally. You know, well, that's how it goes. He, didn't he also use? I, they set this precedent, and like I think it was the last series, right? Because he didn't have a shotgun in in his uh, in his comic. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have it in the summer special, but that doesn't yeah, yeah. the sci-fi. You're <laughs> like, now. no, that's trash. <laughs> I mean, I'm counting on things that are done by the actual creative team, you know? like Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, No, no, I'm just saying, like, there was, maybe they felt a little it'd be bit like ex- it, really. It'd be like talking about, like, oh, oh, well, you know, this happened in, like, Turkish Star Wars, so it's, <laughs> we could, hey, it's, still, it's still canon for the regular movies, you know? Okay. Oh, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Thrill to Harlem Heroes. And it's the grand finale of Harlem Heroes this week. Oh, jeez. And, uh, well, I'll let you talk about it. Oh. I have thoughts. <laughs> so we start with uh, Lewis, the brain in the jar member of the heroes, uh, w- mind whammying Ulysses Cord with an image of evil cyborg Gruber. Cord's nervous system is clogged with fear. So it appears that they're linked or something, but whatever, uh, you yeah, know. It's very strange. <laughs> yeah, we got to finish up with the Bushido Blades. The heroes use some ridiculous tactics, like pretending to be afraid of the blades and then going for a steal, or tricking the enemy team into smashing into into the wall full speed, killing most of the team. <laughs> The heroes win 7-2, and they're through to the Arrow Ball final. Oh, yes. They come head-to-head with some very intense-looking Teutonic dudes. Yeah, that's their opponent, the uh, Teutonic Knight, the Teutonic Titans, I should say, who have uh, coffee can helmets and these tiny little shields that say TT on them. (laughs) (laughs) It's adorable. Uh, The heroes are worried about Kord's loyalty, and they think of a plan. Uh, they're, they're, the Aeroball Stadium is robbed, and all their equipment is stolen. Oh, no! And so Giant asks Cord for new equipment, and they soon get it. 
but we learned from Ulysses Cord's thoughts that if his new equipment does the job, the Titans Stadium will be the hero's coffin. What a Yeah. So uh, the heroes and the Titans face off as Cord roots for the heroes' jetpacks to explode. They're full of booby traps. Oh, no. Yeah. The Titans play hard and the heroes play smart. And the score is 1-1 at halftime with most of the team at least... Um, with most of the team kind of injured, and at least two yeah. of them seriously injured. Because <clears throat> they're getting smashed with shields and stuff. It's not good. Yeah. Cord's worried that the jetpacks haven't exploded yet, especially when Giant, wa- uh, when Giant walks up to, uh, to toward him with a smoking jetpack. Cord cuts and runs, and Giant is in close pursuit. Which is it ends with the, Yeah, it ends with Giant grabbing Cord and pulling him up by the collar as Cord admits everything on live TV. That he rigged the, the jetpacks and stuff. Um, he says he wants the heroes to win because their relatively non-violent style of play has made Aeroball boring and unpopular. Like, it's just not violent enough. <laughs> Rainers, uh, man. Cord, yeah, he, he needs blood. Cord is then arrested, but the team, mu- but, you know, but the game must go on. Uh, at the last second, the heroes win the match, but not before... Uh, non-red shirt team members Harry and Conrad King are both killed in the course of the game. No, the end seems to imply that only Giant, that a uh, Giant Slim and Zach are the only surviving members of the team. Which, you know, counterpoint to what Court said, that doesn't seem super non-violent. Like most <laughs> of the team died this this match. Most of the other team died last match. Like most of the of the bonsai bashers killed themselves flying into that wall and stuff to the point that like they had to play on like a, that, like the, the, the heroes won on like a seven, three power play basically. Cause everyone else was dead. Like there's a lot of people dying in these games. It's a, it is a non-trivial amount and not to mention the random cyborgs that'll shoot around and blow shit up. Yeah. I mean, uh, and just in general endanger everyone's life. Yeah. I mean, I mean, being there. I mean, I know I'm a, I'm, I'm a wuss from 35 years in the past from this comic, but even one person dying in the course of a game seems like a non-trivial amount. <laughs> a lot of people are dying, you know? <laughs> All right. What? Have, uh, <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how much violence he wants, you know? Oh, I mean, obviously this amount is considered childish. This like it seems, it seems like a non-supportable amount of violence, frankly. I mean, everybody wants to I mean, play Aeroball, man. Yeah, you must I mean, get paid if, nuts. Yeah, unless you, unless you, you know, unless you don't want to have a league, like you just can't have three quarters of every team die every in every match. You think that they just have really amazing like life insurance policies, and they get paid very little? Hmm, maybe. It's hard to tell. We don't really see any of these guys in, in their civilian lives, you know? Yeah. I'm actually kind of curious about <laughs> about the structure of Aeroball. Fuck me. This isn't interesting. Uh, so, Jesus. I, this, this, I hated how it ended. Oh, yeah? I did. Just with everybody, with these three guys, sort of be like, oh, everybody else is dead, but we won. We won it for these dead guys. All right. I mean, there's just a lot. So it just, even the way that uh, the, like, it just turned out that it was um, this dude all along. 
really just bothered me a lot. Like, Ulysses Cord is <clears throat> the obvious bad guy, and I know that's what I was going for. You got me really hooked on the brain. brain yeah, I'm fire. sorry about that. <laughs> um, that said, uh, it's not like the entire comic was, like, whatever, like, bad. It was mm-hmm. pretty much the last two progs where it... You know, they've only got so many pages, which is pretty rare. Like, they only had four pages for the last episode. Yeah. And it it's just really cut and dry. It's over quick. I think they're yeah, just trying to get... Yeah, it feels kind of rushed. Out. Like, they're yeah. really ready to get done with this one and get on to the next one. Because the final only had two... Only had, like, two episodes. Like, the game was, like, two progs. And we've seen games previously that were, like, four progs. Yeah, exactly. And these guys are like huge and like there's tons of stuff that could have happened. They could have unraveled this so much more slowly and still ended mm-hmm. on that note, right? Like I don't know. Just felt it, it felt really strange for like a, a comic that's been so thoughtful mm-hmm. in its execution prior. For sure. Uh, yeah. That said, plenty of plenty of great action. Like really, <laughs> really good action shots out of this one. Like even on the I don't know, when they're just doing a lot of like sweet maneuvers around people there's just a lot of detail going on also man the art styles were so different almost prog to prog like there are mm-hmm. some very intense uh like i don't know if you noticed or if or maybe yeah i think the to... art changes a little bit i <clears> think <throat> between between like prog 24 and prog or no sorry between prog 25 and prog 26 i think the artist changes mm. That's what actually, it seems like to me. I, I was actually looking at 26. It, it's There's this shot where they're all kind of getting bandaged up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, really like it. It's got, like, its own kind of flair. Um, it feels very 1970s, if that <laughs> makes sense. <clears throat> like, I, I don't know. Like, a, it was a really good shot. I just think it's really cool looking. That said, uh, I don't have much to say other than this. It was over sure. so quickly. And it that... Feels like a bad breakup or like a rough breakup. Oh, you know, it's just we're just going on a short one. Uh, we'll be back in I think two episodes of our show with the with uh, the res- with, with the three surviving Harlem heroes in their new game Inferno, which has motorcycles. It'll be fun. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm, actually, I'm pretty excited, but I'm, I'm guessing that's why they sort of just pushed through this really quickly, mm, which makes I sense. Guess. Like if they're already kicking around that idea. Which they launched two months afterwards, right? Yep. Like that's that's pretty quick to get back on. Yeah, for sure. All right. Yeah, let's go to Thrill Three Shaco. Oh man. Yeah. In in real life, I'm terrified of bear attacks, but I love them in print format. <laughs> there, it's pretty amazing. Also, oh. very differing art that I love. Some of these like open panels. Anyway, Shaco's so crazy. It really is. So we start with uh, Shaco sort of murdering a bunch of seals and hanging out <laughs> with his mate and their cubs as Falmouth orders troops to take out Shaco. A bunch of para- a bunch of paratroopers fly in and kill. Shaco's mate and cubs. No, it's messed up, man. Yeah, Shaco quickly gets revenge though, grinding one guy's skull and ripping the clothes off another, then burying them in a hole in the snow to freeze to death. Hey, man, gotta have snacks for later, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so, okay, so Fox, 
Yes. <laughs> you're you're familiar with um like revenge movies, right? Like like Death Wish and stuff? Yeah. So my feeling is that this is the start of Shacko's revenge arc, like in Death Wish. Because in Death Wish it's oh. always like the the um the criminals kill like Charles Bronson's like wife or daughter or mm. whatever. And then that means that he snaps. There's no going back. And because the bad guys have done such an evil thing to kill, like, his wife and family, now his revenge and anything he does in the service of that revenge is completely justified. That's actually pretty and that's, accurate. Yeah, and that's this Death moment Wish for Shacko. What? If Death Wish ate people. Well, obviously... <laughs> Shacko can't manipulate a, uh, a, a 44 caliber Magnum pistol that shoots elephant gun bullets or whatever but <laughs> that he got from mail order. But, but he can mash a dude's skull. But definitely, as we enter the second, as we enter Prague 25, we definitely see Shacko about to assault and kill everybody inside of a uh, Arctic base. And it's fine that he kills, and you know, up until this point, pretty much every human Shacko's killed has at least tangentially been trying to kill him. They've been mm. like hunters or ship captains that have tried to winch him out of the water or whatever. Uh, space uh, uh, plane guys who are on planes carry canisters full of deadly viruses <laughs> that shot him at least once. You know, everybody. I mean. Everybody's done something, even if it's something small, to provoke Shacko, right? But now that his mate and his cubs have been killed, he's <laughs> out for revenge, and those rules are out the window. Now he can just dis- now he can just dispense bear-like justice <laughs> he's, on human uh, beings. Yeah, but the, cr- the crime is being a human. I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that in terms of the narrative. He's just, he, the narrative has justified his actions by pushing him beyond the edge. You know what I mean? You're, from now on, everything makes sense to... Sh- from the narrative standpoint, yeah. everything... Shacko's Sh- 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 okay to start just going after humans. And most of them are pretty not great. But, like, a lot of the recent kills are going to be pretty, like, <laughs> oh, we're just people. Yeah, well, oh, yeah, okay, so, like, listen, you, you called me a traitor because I found the justification for Shacko's attempts. I'm fine with Shacko. Shacko's a bear. His family was killed. That's how it goes. The it's traitor, true. the traitor is the kid that helps him, and we're going to get to that. Oh, yeah. Because that's, because that kid has no motivation. <laughs> Other than just to sow entropy. So Shacko invades uh, Ice Station Delta, which is where Falmouth is, you know, Falmouth, the head CIA guy who Shacko, who was, whose arm was eaten by Shacko last, um, it, or last episode. Mm-hmm. Shacko eats Deputy Chester in his, in his snow buggy outside of town, then goes into town <laughs> and claws and eats the Ice Station sheriff and his wife while they take a sexy shower. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, uh, okay, so then... <laughs> I Yeah. Uh, so he, Okay, so here we go. Shacko is eating the ice station's food stores when an Eskimo kid named Unk finds him. The kid befriends the monster that's killed at least three people he, 
three people that he knows in the last hour or so. And Unc hides Shacko inside the closet in his schoolhouse. So here's where the here's where part of Shacko's superpowers come into play, where we've seen Shacko basically be like ten or fifteen feet tall, like when he when he grinds the one hunter's skull, like that hunter lifted up in the air, Shacko stands on two legs and he bites this guy's head off. Like his legs barely come down to sh- like to, to Shacko's waist, but Shacko's also small enough to fit inside like this back room of a uh, of a schoolhouse. It's <laughs> can drink i mean oh, kind, amazing. you know his size is variable that's what i'm trying to say yeah i mean he does hide under an american flag yeah unk also hides shacko under the america under an american flag in the school cupboard so after all this shacko eats unk's teacher eats her up kills her dead and while the kid and while the teacher does you know use corporal punishment and like sends Unk to the cupboard because she's going to spank him or whatever, which is not cool. No. I don't think it's so uncool that it deserves being clawed and eaten to death by a bear. You know, you said every murder was okay at this point. (laughs) I'm saying that while... Narratively. I'm saying that while Shacko is justified in his murder, (laughs) corporal punishment does not it does does not excuse Unk <laughs> hiding this bear in the cup in, in a, a well used cupboard inside this school where the teacher is sure to find him and then eat the teacher. Unk set that up. Unk's a murderer. Fact. <laughs> he uses a bear as his weapon by setting up an elaborate saw like scheme where his hated teacher would be eaten by a bear. He's not it's to be trusted. Irony, maybe. If you see this kid Unk on the street in Ice Station Delta now, he's been on the loose for 40 years. Consider him bared and dangerous. <laughs> he took the right to bear arms in a much different way than most of us do. This podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Falmouth tries to escape from the hospital so he can fight Shacko. Oh, God, but, this was great. But, uh, this, this one nurse uh, tries to stop him, and she punches, and uh, Falmouth slaps her, and then she uh, uh, punches him right in the face and kicks him in the stomach slash crotch. It's hard to tell. That's definitely the crotch zone. <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, you're right. I guess they... What the... It looks like she's sidekicking him. Anyway. Whatever. The, after this, the next night, Shacko invades the base hospital. He kills a handsome doctor. And pushes an old man in a wheelchair out a window. Yeah. The same nurse that uh, kicked Falmouth tries to kill Shacko with the paddles from an electroshock machine. But the paddles get unplugged at the last minute. And instead, Shacko claws her to death over the course of five panels. It's pretty <laughs> ridiculous. He throws her across the room. It's terrible, man. And sticks his arm through her body. Yeah. And so yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, that's Shacko, man. Shacko's killed a lot of people and receiving help from human traitors. So <laughs> Listen, there's the, I, there's I, a lot of crazy bear action. <laughs> I I still think it's it's a couple of things, right? Like it's either that, uh, and I do not believe this myself, but 
all Eskimos secretly want to kill everyone with bears. Because <laughs> already Buck Dollar, half Eskimo, mm-hmm. full, full Eskimo, kind of keeping this bear alive. I mean, they're bear hipsters. They appreciate bears at a level that you and I don't, or that non-Eskimos don't, I guess. I, like, I, on the other hand, you know, Unk's a murderer. Like, they're, <laughs> able, they're able to see the majestic and noble nature of these bears, while I just see the fact that they've got, like, the, the pieces of, like, seven different dudes caught in their, te- in their teeth. Yeah. Claws. Or picking up uh, a teacher and just biting into her neck and face. You know, it's like that. It's like that scene in a uh, in a uh, grizzly man. You know, <laughs> where 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 Werner Herzog's just like, I look at their face and I just see emptiness and hunger. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> you gotta be careful about these bears, man. They'll eat you. And especially Shacko, who is not a theoretic. Like, okay, I was talking to you about about this before, but basically, there's a movie where Unk's a good kid and he's got a pet bear. And there's mean teachers, and he's got to see, and he's got to, or mean adults, and he's got to save the bear from the mean adults because the bear is just minding his own business, and he's unk, and he's unk's friend, and you know, it's a cool, it's a nice story about a boy and his bear, <laughs> right? Yep. So the thing that the grown-ups in that movie would be afraid of is that the bear would go nuts and like eat a teacher, <laughs> eat the local law enforcement officers. <laughs> Uh, eat a fair amount of this remote Arctic base's medical staff, for instance. <laughs> um, and so, you know, in the Disney movie, like, those things seem unjustified because the bear is kind of sweet and cute and whatever. <laughs> in Shacko... <laughs> That <laughs> the taste for human flesh. In Shaco, he's had the taste of human flesh for the last seven episodes. <laughs> the last seven frogs. <laughs> like he loves human flesh. There's he's here. Specific mention in these frogs. He he's showed like, up at the ice base that. for human flesh. He's at the store looking for to buy some humans to eat for dinner tonight. <laughs> so that's why Unk's actions <laughs> change. <laughs> from cute kid actions to you betray the human race for your beloved ursine gods sort of situation. <laughs> Blood calls. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> so, I, uh, you know, probably... That's I, my, I've got nothing I can say to that. That's my <laughs> statement on, on, on Unk and human bear relations. I'm, I'm very hardline about this. Let's go on to the next thing. <laughs> Oh, uh, before we oh, leave this, two words. Uh, you're going to really hate me. Death allegory. Oh, you think uh, Shacko is another stand-in for uh, life and death for people? Oh, yeah. Or something? And on top of that, uh, I think each one of these progs might have, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm still sussing it out. Anyway... Mm-hmm. This is I think it's a. I think it's it's pretty clearly a metaphor for um, how, despite man's, just despite how man thinks they have mastery over the earth, in the end, nature all nature and entropy always wins. With Shaco being the force of entropy, <laughs> the ultimate force of entropy. <laughs> he stuffed a guy down the hole and buried him. Then, then a bear grinding your skull to dust with its giant jaws. <laughs> <laughs> or sorry, no. He strips a man naked and then buries him in a hole. 
And of yeah, course. like, well, and this is that same comic. So he crunches the dude's head <laughs> and mm-hmm. then he strips him naked. Yeah, that's the mission. That's the, uh, that's the thesis for this whole comic. But here's an Eddie, awesome when Yeah. Eddie, anyway, let's, let's, I don't want to talk about Shaq Hornet. Let's go to, uh, non thrills, covers, and letter pages. Oh, fun. So this is the midpoint where we just talk about all the stuff in the progs that aren't, uh, actual thrills. There's uh, a there were a lot of ads this time by, by the way. Yeah, I um we changed to a different set of um or no I they're starting to sell more ad stuff in this in, in these comics I think. Mm-hmm. So there's like yeah hey there's stamp ads too which I told you is a thing. <laughs> last stamp. last episode. Fucking stamps. <laughs> so the big thing that's still going on and will go on for a while is there's these covers that don't have anything to do with what's inside the prog. And are instead sort of mini sci-fi stories. So let's go prog by prog, and I'll talk, and we'll talk about the cover, and then whatever letters might might have come in, and other stuff. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So prog twenty-four, uh, a bunch of ancient hieroglyphics depict a crazy water god. Oh dang, that same crazy water god is giant and right behind us. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, in the letters, uh, Steve Gooch of Rugby puts forth sort of a Chariots of the Gods slash Ancient Aliens hypothesis. Uh, yeah. R, yeah. R. Tucker of London says that Star Wars is even more exciting than 2001 Space Odyssey. I agree. And uh, Stephen Earle of Sutton Coalfield sends a picture of a space city of some kind. It's pretty awesome, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's a pretty good one. I always wonder at this point how much of these awesome pictures are the actual kid and how much is maybe the art department punching them up or something like that. So I definitely, that might actually be true. I was going to say the line work was a bit scratchy, but it it's like that everywhere. I think you're right. I think they just draw something and then they make it more awesome. I mean, I just, I just, I just know in later progs we'll get pictures that are definitely drawn by readers and they are not very, and they are not as good as this. No, this is like, hey, have an Italian artist mock something up. Exactly. So, uh, prop in Prague twenty five, uh, the cover is a uh, mutants get the mutants that get kicked out of Mega City One drop meteors on the city about a hundred years after our current timeline. It's something to keep in mind for Judge Dredd at circa the year twenty seventy seven when <laughs> that happens. Um. There's also a council of aliens drawn by no good kids that's sitting around a conference table with Tharg. I'd say my favorite is this a big black tentacle and eyeball monster in the back. <laughs> I'd say I uh, I was actually a fan of the very serious, very bald dude and the bird guy. <laughs> the Both bird good choices. <laughs> um, T. Clark. Tries to make up some alternate reality stuff about Aeroball, which is dumb. Don't try to make your own science fiction stories, kids. Let the professionals do it. <laughs> uh, Steve Batters wants to know what to call Tharg's haircut. I'd call it a wide hawk. I think that's sort of what it is. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. Simon Pitts wants to know if they have monarchs or prime ministers or whatever on Tharg's planet. Apparently, uh, King Ragnar has just celebrated his Plutonium Jubilee, which is 500 years. In uh, Prague 26, in retaliation for the meteor thing last Prague, Mega City 1 hires interstellar mercenaries, the Satan Horde, to take the mutants down. It works, but then 
the Mega City Oneers feel bad about it. It which, says in here, yeah, which you know, oh, sorry, whatever. No, they've they've developed into peace, so they feel bad about hiring mercenaries to hunt down and destroy these mutants. You know, hey man, they threw rocks at us. Yeah, giant space rocks. They also say that in a in a twenty two hundred, in yeah two thousand two hundred, <clears throat> uh, Mega City One will not have known war for two thousand for two hundred years. But we'll soon see that that's not quite the case. Uh, Russell Child of London suggests a future game called Bike, which sounds pretty dumb to me, honestly. Get out of here, kid. It's just like they'd have a supersonic bike and people would try to knock them off the bike. If you could go a certain distance and not be knocked off the bike, you score a point. This was ridiculous. Um, oh, also God. we start, <laughs> also we start getting, uh, future focus posters, which is like a two page image at the end of each prog. You're supposed to cut them all out and it'll make one big poster. They're all like different colors. So I don't think they look that, that great in the end, but as a show of good faith, I'm going to try to put it all together, um, at my, at, at my job this over the next two weeks. Oh, that'd be awesome. The first one is a space hospital. I still have to print out the the poster from um, from the super special. I'm going to do that too. Oh, that's cool. That'd be uh, awesome, actually. Yeah. Finally, on Prog 27, we see a spaceman investigating a lost colony. He grabs an alien frog to have as a pet. Ah, oh, Jesus, it's a death frog. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Future Focus 2 is a space hotel, seemingly a space Hilton. Yeah. yeah, this one wasn't, I, I don't know. I liked the hospital a lot more than this one. This, mm-hmm. The solar gliders are really weird looking. I'm, I'm hoping that'll be, you know, all these ones, I'm, I'm hoping they all add up to to a big a bigger hole. You know, that'll be nice. Oh, um, man. Oh, actually, yeah, you've got like some planets. Maybe they're cut off and they continue. I don't know. Like, who yeah. knows? Whatever. We'll see. <laughs> Post. But we... But we go to Thrill for Future Shocks. <laughs> Quite good, old boy. Quite good. Okay, so these Future Shocks, they're sort of small sci-fi stories. The first one is uh, the first story that we have with Tharg as an actual character, like in the stories. We also get a cross-section map of King's Reach Tower, which I believe is the, like, skyscraper in london that 2080 is based on and that they say is a spaceship <laughs> i really like some of these rooms especially the censored room yeah there's a there's just a bunch of different rooms yeah there's one censored room i think there's uh there's like a hangar there's a space spa or no it's there, yeah there's a holorama theater there's a mini super Bowl stadium stuff like that yeah tharg has his very own floor which is his apartment of course it's right below the hangar, though. I don't think that's a good spot to put your apartment. I'm just yeah, saying. I would have put the executive computoid robo-suite above it. Exactly. So anyhow, in this futuristic wonderland, some other no-good kid enters the uh, 2080 offices, setting, ironically setting off an Amber Alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's there to tell kids that uh, Wonder Comics which are clearly actually Marvel comics, are way better. Yeah, he's being a real jerk about it, too. Yeah, he's got, got an Incredible Hulk shirt. It's like, whatever. 
Uh, it's you can see it up close later. It says, "Here comes the incredible bulk." Oh, I've seen that movie. It's terrible. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> so, Tharg takes the kid on the on a tour. We see a bunch of like props and monsters from old issue from old procs. The kid gets attacked by the living by the living axe from Dan Dare. But it doesn't get skin or anything. No, nah, it just goes through his pant leg, you know. Yeah. And uh, we it ends when the kid looks upon the power of undiluted future shocks. The kid <laughs> asks, Yeah, there's some good alien stuff. Uh, it's amazing. The kid lasts 10 seconds before he goes space happy. Walter the, Walter the Wobot shows him out, and a new type of thrill begins. Uh, future Shocks, which we'll see for the next three progs, are basically just super quick Twilight Zone episodes. Which are really enjoyable. I don't know. <laughs> They're okay. <laughs> um, in Prog 25, a bunch of red-headed barbarians go to war with a bunch of black-haired barbarians. Aw, oh, geez, it turns out they're all little humans in an ant farm owned by a bunch of giant ants. Whoa! Then uh, a bunch of fishermen on a boat eat fish. It's brain food. And then they're abducted by aliens. One is returned to Earth for being too small, and the other one gets eaten. It's brain food for those aliens! Oh, it's like those aliens were fishing people! Whoa! <laughs> Finally, uh, aliens invade and everybody freaks out. They go to the uh, the brass goes to meet the aliens in a field. Where are they? Oh, geez, they're tiny aliens. <laughs> and one of the brasses is about to step on it as we end. Whoa! Oh, God. And that's it. These are short and just kind of final stories, basically. I think they're incredibly endearing. They're adorable. But more than anything... Um... Well, I should say also short, because it, it would be worse if they were more pages. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like the fishing fun. one is literally two and a half pages long. They are they are campy. They do not take themselves seriously. Like they wrote schlock, and they knew it was going to be like they knew this was going to be stupid. The most inspiring one being Tharg's comic. Um, mm-hmm. To be honest, I was like, oh, like these are going to be pretty great. Uh, but no, they just kept the same sass you see with Tharg just giving serious back chat to this kid who's trying to be sassy. It's fucking perfect. Tharg doesn't care, bro. He's just trying to make his comic. He doesn't give a damn what you think, you know? Yeah. And then it just each one after that keeps that sort of same, like, it just doesn't care. It's like on the nose, I guess. <laughs> I like yeah. these a lot. <laughs> cool. Okay, let's move on. To Thrill 5, Mach 1. Okay, can we get past the racist one first? That, uh, yeah, Fath okay. is rather what I mean. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, Mach 1 goes up against King Carrot. King Carrot's a gold-themed supervillain living off the coast of Dubai. He kind of wears like a Grand Vizier costume is what I describe it as. Yeah. Um, Mach 1 gets a guy to smuggle him into the Island Nation during the process of which Probe is in a box and has to super murder some rats. Probe's, Probe is captured, but ends up fighting his way to the bad guys, eventually throwing King Carrot into a big cauldron of gold where he dies. It's super ironic. Okay, great. Perfect. <laughs> okay, next up. 
This one actually also has racism, but it's like anti-French racism, so it's, it's, it's okay, I guess, or it's not that big a deal. Terrorists have taken over a train in France, um, and only Mach 1 can save them. Like, here, pr- give, take, here, take these some megaphones, sacre bleu! You know, <laughs> whatever. Like, no way, crush. There's some pretty awesome uh, action sequences as Probe drives like a, or is in the backseat of a car that's being driven up to the uh, train as it comes under fire. He gets hit by a by a grenade and is literally on fire as he super speeds his way on, onto the train. And uh, it ends with Probe and the big bad guy, uh, Felix Rothen, fighting and then going in between two train cars that have been disconnected. This is so awesome. And then when the train starts to slow down, the two cars smash into each other. And Raffin's there in the middle of the two cars and gets him and gets just smashed into a thousand pieces by these two train cars. It's pretty awesome. Dude, it's so gruesome. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah. You spent your life killing people. Here's a chance for you to save a save a few with your death. God, he looks like such an ape in this comic too. They, yeah, they had some the punch face, by the way. From where he he looks like Bobby Darren. <laughs> Just so really then, weird. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Hangs out with the chicks at the end. All part of the job, mess. <laughs> Which, hey, for the first time, he's not just thinking to himself, you know, mock man. Uh, I'm so I'm so destitute and alone, mock man. <laughs> yeah. So then, probe investigates a lost Incan temple. And it's it is ambushed by the former head of the secret police of Irania. This is so bizarre. Which uh, we'll remember him. Probe jumped out of a window on top of this guy way back in uh, Prague Four slash Episode One. So this is a reoccurring bad guy for John for uh, John Probe. And he's barely hanging on to life as it is. Yeah, no, he's been reconstructed from having all the bones in his body broken. <laughs> Um, but before, so, oh, and that guy's name is, a uh, is, a uh, like, Crawl, K-R-A-L-L. Be- before Probe can take him out, the temple takes off, like, a rocket ship, and it's full of crazy murder robots. Uh, Probe jumps free of the rocket temple. <laughs> it's the, uh, he breaks the world record for freefall jump without a parachute, and lands oh in a near, in a near bottomless mud pit. Editor's note lets us know that only an idiot would try this at home. <laughs> Once again, this editor's note only shows up in Mach 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and only in this specific Mach 1, too. Yeah. There's other things that he does that aren't great ideas. <laughs> There's another thing that lots of people do. I mean, <laughs> that that nurse in Shaco tried to take out uh, a bear yeah. <laughs> with electroprobes. You should tell kids not to try to kill a bear with, a bear with their bare hands. That seems, like, clear. Anyhow... <laughs> No one believes Probe, and his next mission will be really dangerous, which is in fact the start of the first Mach 1 connected series, The Planet Killers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. American astronaut Big Tex MacArthur is replaced by a bad guy double right before the big space shuttle launch. Also going up in the space shuttle launch is our man John Probe, a.k.a. Mach 1. (laughs) <laughs> though, he, though he's been ordered not to reveal his hyperpower to the Americans. 
Ooh, secret, secret agent. <laughs> yeah, the night before the launch, uh, a shadowy figure that's obviously big text tries to kill Probe, but instead there's a big fight as both guys are surprised by the relative superpowers of the other. <laughs> Which, it was a pretty good fight, too. Yeah, no, there's a lot of, like, so like Probe's in, like, this metal cot, and they just sort of throw the cot, pieces of the metal cot at each other and stuff. It's pretty dope. Yep. Slow punching. Yeah, and in the end, Probe and Big Tex launch the space shuttle, and the scene is set for some space hyperpower action. So great. It's good, man. Return to form by Mach 1 this week, I think. Yeah, pretty... pretty. I'm happy about it. It's <laughs> going in a, in a good direction. They got one last weird racist thing, and then they were <laughs> like, alright, now make it good. Yeah. Alright, let's go. Thrill 6... Judge Dredd. Oh, yeah. So first, uh, Mega City 1 is gripped by the wreath murders. People are killed and wreaths are left at their bodies and everyone's real scared. <laughs> Judge Dredd consults the macro analysis computer and finds one link between all the killings and it's that the ambulance, the same ambulance drivers pick up all the bodies and are the killers and Judge Dredd kills them, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the, the big thing in this one is that we learned that if a non-judge picks up a lawgiver, that's a judge's like main main weapon, it self-destructs fatally. Which is so awesome. Yeah, it's a little weird that it checks uh, the, the, uh, the, the handprint and Judge Shred wears gloves, but don't worry about it. <laughs> it's a comic book. Yeah. So next... Uh, Judge Dredd and Walter the Robot hunt down an illegal broadcast of a murderous game show called You Bet Your Life. That's really a funny bad th- idea. And there's a funny thing as Judge as a Judge Dredd is driving on his motorcycle with this <clears throat> giant Walter the Robot standing behind him, like, pointing where to go and stuff. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Granny gets sent to a plutonium mine. Uh, the wife is killed by a deadly giant spider, which is why you never pick the mystery box. God damn, really? And the main uh, and and the, and the husband uh, Sheldon is almost guillotined, but then Judge Dredd shows up and he shoots the guillotine blade as it falls, and it splits in two, and the two pieces each go flying in opposite directions, right in the faces of the two hosts of the show. Justice power. You bet your life, nicely and lost. No way you could win playing against the law. <laughs> I am the law. Hey, he said it a couple times. So amazing. Then um, a jerk named John Nobody is planning terrorist attacks using uh, a place called the Dream Palace, where you where you live, where you can live your dreams tactically. Judge Dredd catches up to him at the Justice Day Parade. Uh, Dredd manages to crash Nobody's car into a float. And a gigantic, extremely Warhammer 40k sword falls from the float and impales nobody right through his car. It's, it's pretty dope. <laughs> Just a giant sword, the sword of justice. Mm-hmm. With like, it's got like, it's like the hilt of the sword is like eagle wings and the pommel's like an eagle head, which is very 40k. Yeah, I really like it a lot. <laughs> Finally, at the Academy of Law, we learn Dredd has been a judge for 20 years and thus is 40 years old at this point. We see the first of eyepatch-wearing Judge Griffin, who we'll see more as time goes by, graduating rookie Judge Giant, son of Giant from the Harlem Heroes. 
so awesome. I love that this is a an interuniverse or intercomic continuity. Yeah, this is about forty nine years after the events of Harlem Heroes. Jeez. So, uh, Giant's gonna shadow Judge Dredd until Dredd either passes or fails him, which is pretty similar, like to the situation of like Judge Anderson in, in the Dredd movie, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Giant makes some big mistakes at first. He accidentally shoots Dredd in the face and miss and miss sentences a footsie, who is someone who's gone crazy from the ridiculous future of the Judge Dredd universe. Which is I, a strange affliction, but all right. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Uh, Giant sentences the 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 uh, footsie to jail instead of medical treatment. Dredd is about to fail Giant when an urgent call comes in. Giant gets a second chance, and they're off. I'm rooting for him, man. Yeah, man, it's cool. I'm. It's cool to see. Yeah, like you said, it's neat to see people from other comics show up in show or see people in, show up in different comics and stuff. Yeah, it makes the whole place seem connected. But, yeah, exactly, and it, I mean it lends credence to that, right? That all of these things happened since all of their heroes or bears kind of have the same superpower of not dying. Yeah, I mean, you know, I call it, like, it's not the official superpower, it's just sort of a, a thing they all share. Of course. Well, I mean, each one of them has their own flair, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely. All right, so that's it for the progs this week, Frox. What do you, what's your uh, top thrill and bottom thrill? Oh, dude. Uh, top thrill. Uh, Shacko. I, I have to go Shacko this time. He, uh, he murders a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I did love me some Invasion, uh, it, and I've got some feelings about Harlem Heroes, but this was definitely at the top. I loved it. All right. I think my top thrill this week is Invasion. The Rubber Ducky thing is my favorite Invasion story, because it's just it's so, so good. Like, quack, quack, bogs is the greatest catchphrase of all time. Like, if I was going <laughs> to get a 2000 AD tattoo for the first 100 prog, it would definitely be uh, quack, quack, bogs. <laughs> I'd actually should pitch that shirt to uh, to Tharg. Dude, we should just like figure out how to isolate it, make it ourselves, whatever. <laughs> I could do that. But uh, okay, so what's your bottom thrill this week, Fox? Uh, so this one's rough because uh, my initial instinct is to say Harlem Heroes, only in that it was a rushed ending. Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of upsetting for me. I like I. It's not like it wasn't any more enjoyable. It just felt like God. We got to get done with this, and that's. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And for for a series that I enjoyed really well and expected to end kind of on a on a similar note to say Flesh. Right? Mm-hmm. These are the same people that ended Flesh, and Flesh was a three headed man dinosaur. You know, yep. like it went it went nuts. Oh, and then there was an epilogue. Yeah. So. So, like, this, it's just, like, why did you rush this? There was all this build-up, and, and you got through the mid-boss Gruber. Like, give us something to chew on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, anyway, that's why it's bottom. I hear you. I think for being my bottom this week is the Future Shocks. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they'll... Future Shocks will get better as time goes by. But for right now, it, it, except for the first one with the Thark stuff, I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. They just kind of feel like... Like cut-rate Twilight Zone stories, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very. I don't know. It's camping so, garbage. It's yeah, definitely. and like honestly, this month for me was was a really good month. Like there isn't like usually we we there's been a Dan Dare or Mach One has sort of dropped off that have been like ah this is this is garbage. 
But that's actually pretty true. But yeah. this month, everything seemed pretty good. Like Mach One feels like it's improving for me. It's actually done a couple of things we've talked about. There, there was a returning bad guy. Mm-hmm. There's a continuing plot line that's continuing into next Prague and stuff. Um, there so were I'm aliens. Down, yeah, this is cra- you know, it's a return to craziness as opposed to um, as opposed to just sort of more ethnic bad guys, I guess. Garbage <laughs> James Bond. Yeah, except for the first story, of course. Um, yeah. But I thought, but for me, everything's at a pretty good level, and so Future Shock's just sort of being these two-page, like, oh, isn't it spooky, kind of thing. Yeah, it does lose some just, thrill power. Yeah. Just didn't seem, it. you know, just, it, it wasn't that, that, that great for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, I can totally see it. I mean, in, in general, like, they were more funny, right? Um, yeah, I mean, and, and like you expect some goofs in it, but it should be thrilling, not mysterious. I mean, it's okay if it's funny. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. It's just that these ones are just, you know, because they were sort of two pages and each one was a one mm. shot and all that stuff. And it's just kind of like, oh, I see. Okay, it's aliens. Oh, I see. Okay, it's aliens. You know, oh, they're time. <laughs> okay, I get it. Like, it's usually you're sort of going for the twist, and the twist is kind of obvious but pedestrian and obvious and stuff and it's like oh, okay this is this is fine like, whatever <laughs> yeah no it, it's uh it sounds like even the stuff we really didn't enjoy i mean it was fine you know yeah i mean for me the, while i thought harlem heroes also ended abruptly i'm mm. also like because i sort of can see ahead and know that they'll be back in inferno to kind of oh, continue yeah. the story and have some more time with that I'm less worried about that. If we finish that one and it ends abruptly, then I'm I'm more likely to put that on the bottom just because it's not a good mm-hmm. it's not a good enough ending. Yeah, exactly. Well, and oh, actually, just remind me, spoilers, spoilers, uh, Judge Dredd telling us that Giant is still alive, Happy Giant. Yeah, they mention him. He does not die. Yeah, they. Oh, oh, I forget if they say he's still alive in this one. He will show up. I'll spoil you for next week and tell you that that he does show up at the end of next week's Prague. That's so, yeah. awesome. But yeah, Definitely. that just basically means he's never going to die in the comic. He's <laughs> definitely not going to. Well, I mean, okay, he could die and then like be brought back somehow or something like that. You know, no, that's true. Or have some sort of weird, terrible injury or something like that. There's non uh... non death non death worst case scenarios that. Giant can still experience. He I, could be I, a brain in a jar. <laughs> yeah, I forget if he does or not, but you know, keep it in mind. Like, yeah, that's true. Like Doesn't mean he's all together. It is the world's most dangerous sport. Yeah, it's about to be even more dangerous with the motorcycles and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, I yeah, it's the end. Cool. I uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. Tune in next week. As Savage leads a Glasgow breakout, Judge Giant scores, Shaco invades an oil pipeline, Mach 1 fights the planet killers, Future Shock earns its wings, and Dan Dare gets a new coat. And that's just in the first prog. <laughs> Plus, a uh, Judge Dredd character you may have heard of, Rico Dredd, arrives on the scene. Oh, so exciting. Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. This is my Doug Fern Dragon. <laughs>